what's up everyone all our dogecoin and gamestop holders welcome to another episode of off the pulpit i'm eugene i'm jason i'm thomas uh, we're three pastors and three friends conversing on life culture and church off the pulpit really happy to have you here listening uh usually uh, like every episode we start with our mailbag and yeah it's been i feel like every time we record this something something crazy has happened in the world and you know, usually we expect questions on the church or just pastor stuff, but we got a lot of questions on GameStop and uh, Reddit. But uh, one question I got several times was, as three pastors, should we buy GameStop stock? Right now? Probably not. <laughs> <laughs> oh, man. Hey, we're not financial advisors, so I'm not sure we're the best source to... <laughs> I, yeah. You know, the one person I think did imply, like, is it... As pastors, like biblically, like where uh, do where do you stand with stocks? You know, because it is, I mean, essentially gambling at, to some. Um, but yeah, I think given everything that happened this past week, that might be a good question to ask. I don't know the stock world at all, so I'm sure there's like wise ways to, you know, invest and see that as a way of savings and so forth. But let's say you're just interested and want to make money. A good rule of thumb that I heard from a a godly brother in our church that I respect was he said, put in as much as you're willing to lose without being anxious about it. Mm. Like if you're, if you don't, you know, if you're anxious and you lose sleep and you're worried, then you probably, that might not be the best way to approach it. But if you're okay losing it, then, you know, that's fine. I actually thought that's like a, a good principle to follow. Yeah. I think on the, sur- you know, I, I don't really have a problem with it. Um, I think as with anything, um, there's wisdom and I think, obviously, we have to understand our, our tendencies to be controlled by money and all of that. Um, I mean, I'm pretty sure John Piper doesn't listen to us. So I know he, I know he would disagree with, with Oh, that. has he said, like, not to put in Well, he, he said that one time if uh, someone won the lottery and they yep. tithe and they gave it to the church, he would throw it back at them saying, we don't, <laughs> we don't, we don't want that dirty money. And I was like, wow, that's, uh, that's wow. a godly man. That's crazy. Well, yeah, we're not financial advisors, so do as you please as uh, wisely as you can i guess but um yeah a couple of the questions you had in the mailbag some some interesting ones uh one we had was as pastors uh what are your guys' biggest pet peeves of the church uh, as you guys lead the church so many <laughs> so many yeah well, well <laughs> let's narrow down to our biggest pet peeves well i could tell you one i hear right now during the online church era that we're going through is I hear people are just kind of ghosting their churches. Like mm-hmm. they were members or they're, they're there. And I heard this one story of a guy saying he, he sees his church members like at another church because he sees them meeting outdoors online. <laughs> and it's like, what the, and he didn't even know that they left, but they didn't say anything. So, but that, you know, I think it's, it's kind of awkward if someone is part of your church and then they just, they don't say anything and they're just at another church that just like ghosted them. And so uh, I've been hearing that a lot these yeah. these days uh, and obviously that's uh, that's hey, an awkward situation if you're leaving the church just let your pastors know because they can't stop you in the end of the day you're gonna run into the grocery market and like, what you, <laughs> like what's gonna happen man or at a different retreat that's a legendary story but we're out there and our circles are pretty small so just just let us know man it's not it's not that big of a deal i mean it could be but at least let us know I think one pet peeve, I, I recently talked to my senior pastor about this, was uh, this, and it's occurring more during COVID because we're not meeting physically, but 
you know, as pastors, like you always hear about like everything uh, and it's always like, hey, you know, I heard this person is doing this or sleeping with this person or doing this, but you didn't hear from me. Just wanted to let you know. <laughs> and a part of me understands that. I'm appreciative of the honesty. But secondly, I'm like, you know, as a church, one thing my lead pastor and I were talking about was like, look, as you know, especially if you remember a Christian, like, you know, you, you have responsibility and the power as a Christian to kind of challenge and, and confront that person too. So that's one pet peeve I have. It's always like, hey, I heard about this, but you didn't hear from me, so don't mention me. <laughs> I'm just like, how am I supposed to talk about this then? Cause and how are they? Gonna know it's from they're going to know it's from you. <laughs> yeah, so it's like, what am, what am I supposed to do? So that's, that's just one recent pet yeah. peeve that I, me and my senior pastor have been dealing with. One thing would be, you know, uh, I would say something that I realized um, after stepping into this role is how much people, um, it, it, it's interesting that like people will go to the church and, and say, hey, like, why aren't we serving in this capacity, X, Y, and Z capacity? Um, and a lot of times you're like, oh man, that's a great idea. Um, do you want to take it on? And they're like, no, 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 no. Um, I just think we should do it, but I don't want to do it. I don't. I don't have time. And so, I mean, I think this goes to what what you just said, Eugene. I th- I think, you know, uh, everyone has great ideas, um, but nobody wants to actually take ownership and and actually do the things they supposedly care about. And so, yeah, everyone's an architect, but no one wants to work the trenches. Indeed, it's a good one. Um, yeah, a couple other interesting questions, uh, I think for all three of us going to seminary or, or either in or have been in seminary, um, you know, I think this is from a lay person's perspective, but what are the pros and cons of going to seminary and kind of related to that was, should people only go to seminary if they're considering full-time ministry? I always said going to seminary, it's like learning the fundamentals and it's so a comparison I use is somebody who doesn't go to seminary, but they become a pastor. They're like an amazing street baller. They learn basketball on the streets and they could be great, but you just could kind of tell when you play with someone in pickup ball, when they played organized basketball before, they know like where to cut, they know where to go, they know how to set screens and they just know the basic fundamentals. And so I always felt in seminary, you're learning the fundamentals and you kind of just have that in your, in your uh, resource bag. So that's like the pros that I see. You know how to pat, use your left hand. You know how to dribble and cross over. Uh, the cons, dude, it's just super expensive, man. It's so expensive. It's a business, man. Um, I would say big pro is uh, just the community that you find there. Um, what? You I found think. community there? Yeah. Um, Actually, I, I, a little bit too. Did you find community there, Eugene? I, I made zero friends in seminary. Uh, oh, yeah. sorry, Eugene. Uh, <laughs> Might be you, Eugene. <laughs> it could be me. It could be me. I think that was more me than the seminary. So, um, no, I, I, I don't know. Like, I think um, when I went, um, like when I first started seminary, um, you know, I was surrounded by people who really encouraged me and helped act- actually discern my calling. And so, um, just to be around like-minded peers, people all, you know, um, at least. You know, we all had different trajectories, but um, at least in some sense had this sense of unity and in purpose and what we were trying to accomplish. I think 
that was really nice um, to just be able to talk about things honestly um, and um, and wrestle with things that I was processing with them. I would say big con is it's kind of like the same con um, as people who go to music school, for example. Mm-hmm. Um, I think sometimes when you um, and I agree with Tom, I think going like let's say as a musician you go to music school i think it's great because you learn all the fundamentals and you learn the rules but i think the con is that sometimes you get bound to the rules where you feel like i can't stray from this thing Mm. you know um i remember a friend of mine who got his degree in, in in um music production was telling me he like his ears would tell him one thing all the time but his his education was telling him something different. And so he was always like, ah, do I trust myself here or, or do I go with what all the textbooks said? And I think um, for a lot of people who do go to seminary, I think sometimes that can handicap us a little bit. Um, I think it can force us to think, ah, we, we can't try that or we're, we're not allowed to do this or it has to be this way um, because, you know, because of the way we've been taught. And, and you so, feel like a heresy if you in seminary. Right. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. Absolutely. Yeah. Um, I, it, to me, like, I think seminary, the pros is like, you. it's a good time when you look back at it. Cause I mean, for most people, it's like one time when you're only like learning and like, you know, you're reading and, and there's no other pressure most of the time for, for some people, um, maybe an internship here and there. So that's one pro, but I think the con and, and Jason touched on this is, I think in seminary, I, my knowledge of who God is and scripture and languages increased multi. Without it, I wouldn't have any of that. But I think my knowledge of people, of like church people and dealing with them and the sins and the brokenness, um, a lot of that was kind of lacking in seminary. So that, that's, I think, one con that Jason speaked really well into. And I think the second part of the question, um, I... I wouldn't go if you're not thinking about full time because it's just really expensive and you can audit classes for like a couple hundred bucks, I think. And I actually would recommend that to a lot of like maybe church leaders and dedicated Christians at our churches. I think that's really helpful, but I don't know about going if you're not going into full time seminary or ministry. Mm. I don't know what you guys think about that. Mm. I agree. Yeah. I, I, I also agree that auditing classes though, um, definitely take advantage of those because I think yeah. especially if you're leading in a church I think they can be really beneficial and it feels great because everyone around you is super stressed about tests and homework <laughs> but you're just like you're just chilling like oh this is great information so I highly recommend it uh, if you can <laughs> we're, we're paying to take exams <laughs> <laughs> we're paying for more stress but yeah Tom put it a good way a um, couple other questions in the mailbag that we had one was an interesting one um, is setting emotional boundaries with my friends, family, romantic relationships, the church, etc., unbiblical. And if it is biblical, how do we set uh, solid boundaries? Totally biblical to set boundaries. And this is coming from someone who is really bad at setting boundaries. Um, I mean, when you look at Jesus' life, he 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 had an inner circle of twelve dudes that he did everything with, and he kind of limited himself in that way and regularly he was leaving the crowds um to to spend time alone he understood his limitations and and he was always i think setting boundaries either explicitly or implicitly so i think um absolutely biblical to set boundaries 
Agreed. Do you guys ever read that book, Boundaries, by John Townsend? I've seen it, but I haven't really. That read was it. helpful. I mean, one good thing is, you know, when it's when you give your, if you don't set boundaries, what people take from you, it's going to take a, take you away from the things that matter, like your family and so forth. So, um, I think setting boundaries, you're kind of protecting other things that matter a lot. And again, if you don't set boundaries, then that's when a lot of abuse can potentially happen and be taken advantage of us. And so that book by Townsend, I thought was really helpful to know, like why that matters mm. that's helpful um last question which i thought was interesting and I, I again this could be another episode but i just want to hear your thoughts for you guys what what do you guys think are the biggest determining factors um for the future of the asian american church today oh so this is like second generation asians right yeah i think i think more churches in our rv mm. than anything it's a good question it could be its own episode yes. it really could it really could I do think we're at a moment where our Asian American churches, they kind of departed from their first gen brethren. I mean, there's there's not really a strong connection there as much. Um, So now the question is, are Asian Americans going to connect with the white majority Christian churches? And I think that's kind of what was happening or trying to happen the past however many years. Are they going to continue to do that? Or are Asian Americans going to band together and do their own thing? And I feel like we don't know yet, but I think whatever choice is made by the influential churches that are Asian American, that's going to be the the question in my mind. Yeah, I think yeah, best. Maybe that'll be a future episode. And that's future a great episode. Preview. Yeah. So great answer. Cool. Again, our mailbag is always open. So if you have any questions uh, with a previous episode, this episode, or anything about church life or culture, feel free to DM us um, on our Instagram anytime. So given our mailbags closed uh, today, what we kind of wanted to focus on is evangelism, Uh how we share about ultimately Jesus, how we talk about Jesus, how do you do that, why we do that. Um, You know, we were talking in a group that, but I I do think there's a lot of interesting conceptions of what evangelism is, especially in our churches today. So I I just wanted to, I think it'd be interesting to break it down among three of us, uh, just what our thoughts are and our experiences too evangelizing. But I, I thought maybe the best way to start is this, even before going into the, the practical aspects and how we evangelize, but I guess in your guys' own words, um, what exactly is evangelism to you and how would you describe that in your own words? I could give a textbook answer and then maybe Jason, if you want to color it, but I mean, helpful to know what evangelism is not. I mean, evangelism, it's not mercy. It's not the same thing. Uh, mercy is doing good and meeting the needs of others, and that's not equated to evangelism, even though it could accompany it. Uh, evangelism is not missions. Uh, I think when we think of missions, it's like overseas work, and that's the only time you evangelize. But um, you guys ever read that book by Max Style, Evangelism? It's yeah. like this nice yeah. short book. And I thought his definition is really helpful. Evangelism, quote, is teaching the gospel with the aim to persuade. And uh, I think the way he broke it down was, you know, teaching meaning you're sharing uh, the gospel, which is the good news of Jesus Christ. Uh, with the aim or with the goal or desire of hope to persuade them or to convince them or to bring them to know who Christ is. And then the last part I think is kind of key because we just think sharing the gospel, but uh, that part of persuading meanings, you don't, you're not trying to manipulate people, nor are you the one who is bringing them to conversion. Uh, you're, you know, you trust that the spirit's going to do the work, but evangelism, you're not just shouting out who Jesus is, but you're, you're aiming and hoping to persuade them to know who Christ is. And I thought that was a helpful standard idea of what evangelism is. Yeah, um, I mean, I think I, I, I like that definition a lot. Um, my favorite uh, definition of evangelism, 
um, uh, is by a guy named Daryl Johnson, um, who said evangelism is joining a conversation the Holy Spirit is already having with another person. And I think that speaks to a little bit of what Tom said, um, this idea that uh, it's not us um, converting someone. Um, it's us being a part of what God is already doing um, in that person, us being a link in that chain. And so, um, and I like, I like the, the word conversation because I think a lot of times that's not the image that comes to mind when we think about evangelism. So Yeah, like a two-sided yes conversational yeah and i think one of the key things is that most people i think might mix up thinking that evangelism is conversion um when it's more presenting the gospel as clearly as possible to persuade which i think tom did a good job i um i don't know if i heard this somewhere but a good example i always have is i think evangelism is if you're showing the movie and let's say the movie is the gospel I think the temptation is to think that you're the actor and you need to persuade the viewer that this is a good story and that they need to believe it. But I remember someone saying like, you're not the actor um, in a movie theater. You're just a film projectionist. And all they do is they wipe the cl- uh, the, the camera lens as clean as possible every movie showing. And, and that's mainly your job that you're, you're allowing the gospel to talk to them for, for itself. And at times you might need to clear things up um, and, and persuade. But ultimately, I think Jason's right where the spirit is the one converting that soul into believing in Christ. And I think that's key because that takes off so much expectation I think a lot of people have, right? Um, Given that, why, as Christians, should we do that? Like, why should we evangelize? And I ask that because I think there, I don't know if you, I could be wrong, but you guys can speak into this too i think there is a low motivation to evangelize in our churches Mm. i think there's a a hunger to learn about marriage or about relationship or work um but if i'm honest i don't see much passion or excitement to to talk about jesus with others so maybe to kind of back it up first like why do you think it's important as a christian to evangelize and why do you think there's so much low motivation in our churches to do that as well um, well, I'll start with the second question. Um, why do you think there's such a low motivation to evangelize? I just don't think many of us see the gospel as great news. Mm. Um, and I think, you know, to go to the first question, uh, why should we evangelize as Christians? I almost feel like, you know, I, I, well, one thing I, I think we forget is that we're all natural evangelists. I don't think we're, we we actually ever need to be persuaded to evangelize something that we genuinely care about or something that, um, you know, is so good that we have to share it. You know, especially in the in the world of world we're living in right now in the social media generation, we I mean some of the people I see on social media they're the most amazing evangelists I've ever seen. I've bought so many useless. Um, things because I saw something. Doge, Dogecoin. <laughs> <laughs> and so in, in that sense, you know, I almost think the problem is that we, is not necessarily that we haven't been um, persuaded to evangelize. I, I actually think that the problem is, is that um, we haven't really received the gospel um, for what it is or embraced it as good news. Yeah, I think, um, I mean, if you take the Matthew 28 as like classic example of to be a disciple means to be a discipler. And so that's part of what it means to be a follower of Christ. 
Um, and so, I, and I think most people actually know that that's kind of the the weight of responsibility. One thing that I know I've been realizing more that I've been reading about is uh, evangelism. I almost feel like we see it as this thing that maybe we should do if we have an opportunity. But one thing I've heard about that I thought was intriguing is evangelism is actually do you see as a spiritual discipline, something that helps you grow. And I actually think a lot of Christians that's why we're not growing is because you know we we think growth is by praying more, by reading our Bibles more, by uh, by worshiping and so forth, but evangelism is actually a part of that. It helps you not just bring people to know Christ, but it helps you to grow to become like Christ. But because we're not evangelizing, we're kind of stagnant in our faith. And I think that's a big component is because we're not sharing our faith. And that's part of actually what spiritual growth looks like. Yeah, no, totally. Like, yeah, I won't say it. But anyways. Um, <laughs> hey, just say it and, and edit it out. <laughs> Like Dogecoin is a great example of this. <laughs> like the more you talk about it, the more you believe in it. You know, I'm not. I'm saying this as hey, an objective believer. But when you say go to the moon, man, you just you yeah, believe. Like, and you might be tempted to press swipe more for, for you know. I'm not saying that I did or not, but it's so true. Like the more you talk about something, the more you love. Like it's just it's a natural outpouring of your heart. And I think I think Tom nailed it on the head that for a lot of Christians, when they're like, man, I. I feel so far away from God. I mean, there's a lot of things you should be doing, but one of the main things might be like, are you talking about him um, constantly, consistently? Because it, you know, it it hypes you up and it gets your passion to buy more stock. But anyways, um, I guess another question is, given that, and I think we talked about the idea of presenting versus conversion, is there a line um, between evangelism and proselytizing? Like, and... Where does that cross over, if that makes sense? Because I do think for a lot of Americans that are maybe secular, the, the, any mention of quote-unquote evangelism is that idea of proselytizing, of like, oh, you're trying to force me to believe. So I guess for our churches, like, is there a line between that? And, and how do you determine that uh, in that spectrum, if that makes sense? I guess in some ways the end goal, um, you would presume, is the same, which is, um, wanting people to come into a relationship with Jesus Christ. Um, I think this is generally speaking, and I think this is the way evangelism and proselytizing kind of is dif- distinct in my mind, is that I think, as we just said, evangelism, I think, trusts in the Holy Spirit to do the work and sees our role as being just a link in that chain you know, in that long chain of, of God working in that person's heart, in that yeah. person's life. Whereas I think with proselytizing, it tends to make us the hero of the story in the sense of you're trying to get that, like you're trying to be the source of that person's conversion right there and then. Yeah. Um, and I don't know. That's how I kind of separate the two. But I don't know. Yeah, I kind of sense like proselytizing. You're kind. You're trying to like get them in your tribe. I get that. Versus evangelism, like you want them just to know who God is, to hear the gospel, and you know, whatever happens, happens. The Spirit you trust to do His work, and however the Spirit works in their heart, it might look different than your tribe. They're they're the way they experience who God is, and obviously the fruit of spirit looks the same in all Christians, but the manifestation that kind of varies. But I feel like proselytizing. I mean, I think people proselytize in their churches. Like Christians would come to their churches, and you they like evangelize to the people in their churches to be like them. And that's kind of the image I have of proselytizing. Is you want them to be like in your in your group. Yeah. Uh, versus evangelism is more open ended. It's like no, you're part of the kingdom, and that's yeah. a very wide variety perspective of what the kingdom looks like. Hmm. No, I, I I thought that's that's really helpful. 
Um, so we're, we're going to dive into a little bit deeper of like, well, what does that look like practically? What are the hindrances? But before we do, what are your guys's craziest evangelism stories you guys have in the memory bank? Whether it's something that you, uh, a crazy story that you had trying to evangelize or something that you just witnessed uh, happening in front of you. I heard a story once. Um, someone told me like a guy, he just got, he came late to the, his class as a, at college. And he, the reason why he came late was he like, oh, he, the professor asked like, what happened? He said, well, I got into a huge car accident and it was like, he almost died. And he sat down and a Christian was sitting next to him going, hey, and he drew a picture, like a line saying like heaven and hell. And he was like asking him like, so if you, you know, if you had died today, where would you have gone? <laughs> it was just like <laughs> right in the middle of class, right after he almost died. And I was like, I was like, wow, man, that's a respect that, that zeal brother. <laughs> but that's a interesting timing to kind of have that conversation. So that was a, a very hammering way. I, I, I didn't witness that. I heard the story from someone and yeah, that's kind of a, an interesting evangelism story. Did he accept Christ? I have no idea. I have no idea. That's crazy. Um, the craziest story I can think of is um, in high school, uh, there was a group of guys in my high school that um, they would do meth after school. <laughs> oh, wow. <laughs> and it was pretty wild. Um, and I remember someone, a guy from my church. So, you know, they used to, they used to be pretty open and honest about it. And, and they used to tell, um, tell us that like when they were high, it was they would have the deepest conversations about life and things like that and and i remember someone one of my friends was like man i think i should start doing meth um because i think i think i could really talk to these guys and um evangelize to them and um all things to all people uh, yeah I, I i think he actually did and but then I actually don't remember hearing from him again, so I don't know how that story <laughs> turned out. Beginning of but... Breaking Bad, bro. <laughs> breaking Christ. <laughs> yeah, I, I should probably follow up. Yeah, I, should, I should probably follow up. <laughs> uh, yeah, that's. I think that one tops the stories. <laughs> but um, praying for that brother. If, he's still if, if you're out, if you're out there, man. Yeah, this, <laughs> we'd listening. love to evangelize to you. We'd love. We'd um, love to interview you. <laughs> <laughs> He really would. Um, yeah, so I, given all the crazy stories, I think uh, to get more practical, um, I, I do think the problem with evangelizing today is often that we have such bad either practices, habits, or hindrances to it in the church. And I think to start off, um, I guess for you guys, especially um, within your own churches, like what do you guys see as the main hindrances uh, for your church to prioritize evangelism? Like, well, what stops your members from doing it consistently or even doing it at all uh, in your guys' minds as pastors? I think it's awkward for people. Like it's awkward. Cause when you think of evangelism, you think of this very like formal gospel presentation. And so and, you know, when you think about like, hey, who do you evangelize to? It's like your coworkers or your neighbors. And it's like, hmm, so how do I go from talking about basketball to all of a sudden, hey, do you know who Jesus is? And that's just like a weird transition. So I think the imagination of how to even have that conversation is strange. Um, I think people don't feel capable. They feel like they don't know how to answer questions. Yeah. Um, I think a lot of people, they, they don't even have non-Christian friends because we're just, you know, all of our friends are Christians. So that could be a hindrance. Um, but I also think maybe a big hindrance is, if the, the kind of like Jason said earlier, if the gospel is not good news to us and it's not real to us, then how how are we going to make it real to others? 
And I feel because it doesn't come out naturally in that way, it's hard. It feels, it feel, that's why it feels awkward because it's not natural. And so it could be it's not natural to you or it's just natural conversing about it. But I do feel those spiritual muscles are just not used. And so it's really hard to, and the expectation is you go from zero to like a hundred when you think about evangelism. So I think that's what I sense people feeling weird about. Yeah. Yeah. I totally agree. Yeah. I mean, I think in general too, um, and this isn't just in the church, but I think our culture, I think, um, no offense to, to you youngins listening, but I just think we're all very, we've become very socially awkward. Um, and we just don't know how to have normal conversations with people. And I think, you know, I mean, it's, it's already difficult enough to just have a conversation about life with someone nowadays, Yeah. but then to have to like, try to converse with someone about faith and some of these bigger questions about meaning and purpose and belonging. I, I just think that scares people, um, you know, to even think about having those kinds of conversations at work or at school. Um, Before you do like a seminar or training on evangelism, there should be like a training on like just socializing. Like, how do you, how do you talk yeah. Yeah. <laughs> to people? How do you just talk to the screen? <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I mean, especially so after 2020, right? 2020, Oh man, there ain't going to be no evangelism going on <laughs> in 2021. Maybe that's when the way, that's, that's when it's to strike because it's so awkward. You can just be like, hey, do you know Jesus? <laughs> and if they don't receive it, well, they're like, oh, sorry, man, I've, I've been quarantined for a long time. <laughs> That wasn't me. That I'm sorry. Was <laughs> uh, I yeah. I I do think like awkwardness though is a huge hindrance for a lot of people, especially younger, because it's just there's this huge public perception of being a Christian already that I think you carry into non-Christian spaces that it's it's so hard to bring out sometimes. I think given that, like, so times are such it's really different than what Paul was doing right in Acts uh, and in the New Testament and. I guess what you guys see today is uh, one question I want to have is like, what are certain ways or methods of evangelism that you've seen Christians practice today that make you cringe or, or worry that, well, I don't know if that's the wisest way to go about things. I mean, from my experience, I think um, the biggest thing is as Christians, I think we often presume what our neighbors need and then we, deliver the gospel according to the goods we have to offer. So mm. I think there's this sense in which, hey, we have this thing that you need, uh, you know, and we're bringing God with us. And and so, you know, here he is. Um, take it. You need this. And I think, um, again, that goes back to, I think we, we, we fall into the false... Um, belief that we're bringing God with us. No, God is already there. God is already working. Um, we just need to show up and discover what he's doing, what he's mm -hmm. already doing, and, and um, discern how can we be a part of that conversation. And so I think when we, when we go in feeling like we have something they need um, and we need to give it to them, I think that takes on a very uh, colonial mindset and I think that's very dangerous yeah that colonial mindset it reminds me of like the way people preach or share the gospel in people's minds right now that's kind of cringy is it's that line like hey can I tell you about Jesus do you know who Jesus is 
and everybody knows who Jesus is. <laughs> like, they like it's not like who is this Jesus? It's not like the the skits, right? Like, tell me more. Uh, and I, uh, you guys might have heard like Philip Reef. He broke down like there's uh, there's first culture, second culture, third culture. And first culture is a pre-Christian world where people don't know who Jesus is. That's like the Apostle Paul when he preached. That's like uh, evangelism and, and overseas missions of people who never heard the gospel before. It's a pre-Christian culture. And the way you share, that, like the way the Apostle Paul is doing, that's a very pre-Christian first culture worldview. Then second culture is a Judeo-Christian world where everyone kind of lives and presumes Christianity into their ethics. Uh, but right now, the United States, we're, we're third culture where it's very post-Christian. And it's interesting how we're still, I think our minds of evangelism is very first first culture where, hey, do you know who Jesus is? But we're right now actually in a third culture where, again, everyone knows who Jesus is, is very post-Christian. And it's a unique, unique culture where it's hard to evangelize. And it's just not going to work doing it in that first culture way. And I think the mentality we have is, oh, they just, their hearts are hardened. They don't know who, they just don't want to believe. But I don't think that's always the case. I think it's the context and the way we're evangelizing. It's cringy because it's the wrong context. We're not, we're not really paying attention to what's happening here and how we can share who Christ is in this current climate. Yeah. And I, I guess kind of like to, to tie up both, it's like we approach people like it's a textbook and as long as we follow this manual, like it's going to work. And I like what Jason said that oftentimes, no, you got to, I think more evangelism today, more than you telling them what you know, I think it's more of you figuring out who they are. <laughs> and I think that's the most important key today because like Tom said, they, they kind of know who Jesus is. So if you say like, do you know Jesus? They're going to say yes. And end of conversation, that's the end of evangelism. And I think more pressing could be, well, it's like, did you grow up in the church? Like, who do you think Jesus is? I think those type of leading questions change the dynamic so much more. And sorry, we'll get into the practical advice too, but I do think that's a problem that you can't approach people like they're just this manual that you read in an evangelism book. And as long as you hit these points, was it the four laws? Is that, I, I forgot. The four spiritual laws. Yeah, like I, that's so outdated. Like it's just not gonna work today in a campus or in a work setting. So yeah, it's just yeah, and, very- and, and to add on to that, I think when we approach it like a textbook, then we're always looking for that that final result, right? Which is yeah. we want them to say the words. So it's like, <laughs> just say the words, you know, <laughs> say the sinner's prayer. Yeah. And then you're never going to see us again. Yeah, but, yeah, you know, yeah. we'll leave feeling really good about ourselves that we converted someone. Yeah. Right. And I think um, that overemphasis on that the result and that specific type of conversion rather than inviting someone into uh, a life with Jesus, what a life with Jesus looks like. Um, I, I think that's where the church is getting into a lot of problems these days. Yeah, I totally agree. Um, I guess to get a little deeper, especially given the context of our podcast, um, I've observed especially that Asian American Christians have a much, and this is anecdotal, but you guys can agree or disagree too. I have a much harder time evangelizing than maybe other Christians of other ethnicities. Like, I don't know when I see Caucasian brothers and sisters in Christ, like they're just, they just go for it. Like, do you know Jesus? Like they're okay saying those things, but I do see there's a hesitancy and a weakness in our churches, especially to evangelize. Um, and, and why do you guys think that is like any thoughts on that? Um, any even advice from that too? I can think of two things. One is I do think Asian churches, because uh, it comes from that first generation background, and who knows, I'm not sure what the dynamic was where it was harder to evangelize because of the language barrier locally. 
So a lot of Asian churches were much more focused on overseas missions. And so you see a lot of modeling of missions being important, uh, going to the ends of the earth, but there's not a lot of modeling of going to Judea and Samaria. Like that's not really present. And so I do think because of that generational uh, inheritance that we have of not good modeling, we just don't know how. So that's one thing I see. Uh, I think the second thing too is the fact that we're a minority culture and in a majority culture. It's hard to evangelize in that context. I mean, it's weird. I feel I remember I was talking to somebody in our church like a while ago, and they were saying like, I feel like I can only evangelize to other Asians because after you evangelize, the natural next step is to invite them to church. But if you, there's like this discomfort to invite someone who's not Asian to your Asian majority church, totally. which is weird because if you're if you're white, you have no problem inviting an Asian person to your white majority church. But Asians feel uncomfortable if someone comes in, they're the only non-Asian in their church. And it's a, this weird complex that we have of feeling embarrassed about, like, it's like that same complex you feel about your parents who can't speak English meeting other people. You feel like this kind of weirdness that's there. I think we feel about the same way in our Asian churches, and I don't know why, uh, but it makes us hesitant because most of our coworkers and the people around us, they're not Asian. And so who do you evangelize to when you're like the minority? So there's a part of that that I think is going on as well. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, I think a big part is definitely cultural. Um, I think we talked about it maybe in the first episode of this podcast about even why we don't even see that many um, Asian American Christian leaders um, on Twitter and and on on various platforms. And I think there's a a general sense in which I think there's something cultural. Um, I think a big part of that stems from the fact that we are a minority, but where we need permission to speak. We also, I think, don't like stirring the pot too much. Um, and, you know, we feel like that's what evangelism is. You know, we're, we're uh, you know, I think we have this sense in which, man, I don't want to have these uncomfortable conversations that put people, that burden people or put people in these awkward positions. And I think a big part of that kind of stems from our heritage, actually. Yeah. It's weird. It's weird even talking about Jesus with other Christians. Like, <laughs> you know, so, like, so to a non-Christian, it's even weirder. That's more so intimidating. True. That probably speaks deeper problems with the church. Right. <laughs> but yeah. I, and I, I think like to, to add things too, like it's that double foreigner, like identity that you have. Cause your faith is already probably weird to a lot of your coworkers or to your schoolmates. And oftentimes your identity as an Asian American is weird too, right? Like the food that you eat or like Tom mentioned, the practices that we have in our churches. And I think that that weight often makes us more bubbled than we think. I I mean, that's just evident. Like, you know, when I was in SoCal, uh, when I went to Stereoscope, which is like a popular coffee shop, it was just like a church bubble. It was like, it was, it was Jerusalem. Like every person in there was a Christian and it's because the owners were Christian and uh, not Christian, but Korean. And it's just, you want to stick to your identity racial identity or ethnic identity so it's hard to even you know and usually most korean americans in southern california and i think northern california too they're probably christian already you know so you're 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 your people group that you're trying to minister to that there's not much that's unreached in your life already so that i think that's another problem that we have mm. but yeah i don't know we have no solutions we just point out the problem <laughs> <laughs> that's but, what our uh, podcast is about <laughs> I I don't but I'm, I don't know maybe do you guys see any way to break that especially being an Asian American Christian and trying to evangelize more given everything that we listed 
I feel like there is something to the whole idea of if you're not comfortable talking with other Christians about Jesus, like what makes you feel like you could actually talk to non-Christians about Jesus? Mm. And I don't really see that being present in a lot of churches, particularly Asian churches. I always joke with people saying like churches, church gatherings are the one large gatherings where after it's over, nobody talks about what just happened. (laughs) If you go to a concert or a movie, you walk out talking about the concert or the movie you just saw. The churches, as soon as the the service is over, you walk out and you talk about like the football game coming up or about the potluck. (laughs) You don't talk anything about what just happened that drew like hundreds of people together. And so it's like, you know, it's just not natural even for between Christians. And so to make that leap to even non-Christians, even more unnatural. So part of me wonders, like just talking about spiritual things, letting that be a norm. I feel like that has to start there before Mm -hmm. you can even talk about spiritual things where it's not safe. You do talk about what, what just happened when the sermon was rough. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> like, what the heck was that? <laughs> uh, we're cynical by nature. By ethnicity, right? We changed, Jason. We, we, cha- we changed them. Uh, no, but I, I do think, you know, even um, kind of making it um, a regular practice in churches, in our churches, for people to share their stories. Mm. Um, I think giving, uh, providing um, spaces, whether it's in the context of a Sunday service uh, or in community groups, smaller group settings, um, for people to be able to share kind of what their experiences are like. And I think getting people into the habit of even sharing about the things that are important to them, the things that have shaped them, I think these, all of these things give us practice yeah. to be able to have those conversations in the real world. No, I, I think that's Kira something that I think the reason why we're so textbook in our evangelism is that our church conversations are forced textbook too. Like our small group conversations is like, you know, it's always like, well, like, you know, how can we grow to love God more? It's like, oh, we gotta, we gotta read the Bible and pray, you know? And it's like, it's very surface level or textbook even in how we talk about our faith in the church. And again, not, I don't have some crazy solution, but I think that's really key that, can we foster types of just real conversations within our church that can be replicated to outside the church? I think Jason's brought up a good, really good point. Yeah. So I, one other question I had too, and, and this is kind of linked to everything that we talked about before, but I think given the political landscape too of America um, over the last few years, the church, especially in America has lost a lot of credibility and it's witness and I would probably guess for the average American, especially in California, if you say I'm a Christian, they probably think, oh, GOP, you voted for Trump, MAGA already in in their heads, Um, whether that's good or bad, right? It's just a presupposition that's already been placed given what's happened in the last couple of years. And I guess given that, that America's, the church in America has lost a lot of its witness to the world, how do you move forward to be an effective witness in this political landscape? Don't you guys think more than ever now, like, are like with proclamation there must be deeds, hmm. like that has that's like a a, a necessary a necessity now. Like yeah. with church, you know, church overall to just sit in a corner and megaphone and shout who Jesus is, that's not going to make anyone pay attention. Yeah. If you see churches doing good for the city and caring for those that are in need, and then and also proclaiming Christ, there's something more powerful about that proclamation that's there. 
And same with like the Christian. If you're a Christian, it's not a, it's not something's missing if you're proclaiming Christ and you're a college student, but you're failing all your classes. Versus if you're a college student, like you're doing well, you're you're known as a someone who's kind and someone who puts themselves out there. But then it's also because of your faith that's driving that. I feel like the more than ever, proclamation cannot be devoid of deeds and and good works. It has to be a company that like James chapter two has to be far more real now in order for the witness to become powerful because that's we're met with suspicion these days and that's no different in the first century but the first century church they won not just because of the proclamation but because of the way they loved their neighbors and the way they loved their enemies and so i think that's kind of the same situation we find ourselves now to be effective yep totally agree i mean i think when you think about the way jesus began his ministry you know i think about matthew 4 proclaiming the good news of the kingdom and then and healing every disease and sickness among them right yeah. they, they went hand in hand and I think um, we've lo- definitely lost the deeds part of that. So I totally agree with Tom on that. Um, I think in general, maybe speak less and listen more. Yep. Um, it feels like every Christian leader, um, and I'm guilty of this as well. So I'm not, um, you know, saying I- I'd be the first to admit this as well. But I think we're very quick to speak these days, to you know, have something to say about everything, and to um, put out a, a tweet or a statement or, you know, we're, I, I think a lot of Christians are talking a lot. And I think um, what the world needs m- much more of right now, um, going back to James, is actually um, being being slow to speak and, and quick to listen. And so I think um, to be an effective witness, especially in the in the political landscape we're in right now, I think we need more of that. Totally put your money where your mouth is technically but yeah so you know we talked a lot about hindrances and and um the problems with evangelism in the church today and i guess flipping gears uh i I do think a lot of the problems with evangelism is just there's no example or good example to do so right and i want to spend the last half of the episode just talking about practical advice of like well what does it look like right and i guess for you guys like what what does evangelism look like practically, like in 2021 for the church, in, in your guys' eyes? Like what, what literally would it look like? Seems like evangelism needs to shift from becoming like a project or a thing to becoming just a way of life. Mm. Like I feel like it, always, it was always weird when back when I wasn't a Christian and I would hang out with Christians and they're acting one way. And all of a sudden they when they find out I'm not a Christian, like their voice changes and they become like this different person. They go like on evangelism mode and I'm just like, man, you're like, you're not like, who is this guy? And you almost like have to put on a character at that moment, that, that person who's faithfully witnessing to the gospel. And then after you do your spiel, then they go back to like their normal selves. And I, don't, I think that's very off-putting. That's not very effective. Uh, and I, so I do see evangelism having to be more just a way of life. Like it's something that kind of we were talking about earlier. Like you're just talking about who Jesus is because he he's important to you just like other things are important to you as well. And so I do think that shift has to happen. And I do think that shift is happening in certain circles, but especially Asian American context needs to be less project oriented where you put on a character and just kind of something that's more natural. I, I really like that. I, I think there's a, a temptation to be project-based in your evangelism. And I think more than that in 2021, the most effective way to evangelize, like Tom said, is just to be present in the spaces that you're mm. already in. Like, yes. for example, 
like do your neighbors know your first name <laughs> and do they know what you do and do they know that you're a christian like um and how do you do that like that that's the these are the creative questions that you need to start asking yourself you can't just i don't think knocking at everyone's door and, and telling them that you're christian is the right way but like how can you creatively kind of be present in your neighborhood because I, I, so many times like I, I the neighborhood has been really present in my mind especially now because you're you see your neighbors more than ever at least i do these days and it's like man like these are people that like for a lot of asian americans like we never really talk to like we're you know if you're like me like whenever i see them i always put my head down and i just like nod or I just walk a little quicker and i just think like man like i think that's an opportunity wasted you know if, you, if you're looking for someone to evangelize to look to your apartment complex your neighborhood there's for sure non-christians there too and i think that's they they know who you are <laughs> they know how you park they know how you take out the trash they know how you yell maybe with your family or not and i think that's a true test of evangelism more than oh can i see someone off the street and tell them who jesus is totally agree with what you just said eugene and um i think that understanding of evangelism is, is is so important especially in 2021 um in in a culture that is as tom said post-christian so it's not just a culture that's moved on from christianity uh, but one that's hostile to christianity yeah um and, and i think you know growing up um i think we it, there was a very church-centric view of evangelism so the goal was invite your friends to church and at church is where we will evangelize to them, you know, and um, it was this idea that the primary activity of God was happening within the church. But I think we actually have to shift from a church centric view of evangelism to a king kingdom centric view of evangelism, which is this idea that um, the primary activity of God is happening in the world. And we are in the spheres of influence that that we find ourselves in, whether it's in our neighborhood, our workplaces, um, our schools, what does it look like to bear witness to who God is in those spaces? And and what does it look like to, to join God in the work he's already doing in those spaces? You know, and so, um, yeah, I mean, for me personally, I think busy bars can be the greatest confessional booths, you know? Um, and I think there, there are opportunities for us to have conversations with me. I mean, wh I, I, who knows when we'll ever be able to step foot in a busy bar again. But um, all that to say, I, I think we need to shift that view that we have to get people to the church. Because I think in a post-Christian world, there are just way too many hurdles to get people to agree to come to a Sunday service. You know, it just it, it doesn't happen. I, I remember growing up, uh, like where like it was still kind of cool to go to church on Sundays. It it definitely is not that anymore. And so I think we have to find other ways um, to, to evangelize, to bear witness to who Christ just, is. Just don't do meth. <laughs> <laughs> that's too far. <laughs> Crowded bar is okay, but meth. Yeah, yeah, that's too far, too far. Is, yeah. You don't want to be on Breaking Bad. <laughs> not, I think Jason brings up a good point. I think, I, I think church should actually be the last... It should be like the final or one of the final stages. But if it's like the only one, then dude, that means we're the ones who are evangelizing. Like it's up to the it's up to the pastor to yeah. we're, evangelize. We're, we're busy evangelizing yeah. to our churches, man. Like <laughs> to you guys. So uh, no, I, I yeah, I think it's I, I 
Tim Keller puts it really best. There's levels to it. I think Chasey says it even better. There's levels to this that you can't just <laughs> take from the church because it's just a weird experience for a non-Christian. Like it's weird oftentimes, and I'm not. So weird. I'm not saying that you know it, it can't be missional, and I think our services should be. But I really think I, I like what Jason said. It's kind of like the last boss of of the the journey, um, and, and it's an effective one, and that should be there. But it can't be the first step. That's impossible. Or the only. Yeah. Or the only. There's that quote, uh, preach the gospel and use words necessary, right? And it's a fake quote. I think it's not even real by St. Francis. <laughs> I don't like that at all because I think, you know, we talked about how evangelism evangelism is more than words, but it is words. Like at the end of the day, without words, you're not evangelizing, right? Without, if it's just deeds, that's not evangelizing. It's just mercy. I think Tom mentioned that. And I think uh, the scariest thing for a lot of people is, you know, I think the friendship part is easy, getting to know them, but that you know, how do you shift it? Like, how do you get a conversation with a neighbor, a coworker, or a non-believing friend um, to get to, hey, let me get to know you, to, hey, let me talk a little bit about Jesus and the gospel and how you're a sinner, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. So mm-hmm. I guess what are some tips that you guys have to, to get to that point in the conversation uh, with a non-believer? There's this one book that I read. It's called um, The Simplest Way to Change the World by Dustin Willis. And his whole premise, which I thought was helpful, is it's not natural to talk about those deep things at the workplace or on the streets. Those aren't natural settings to yes. get there. I mean, you could like touch upon things, but to get deep the way that we imagine, it's actually, I think, challenging to expect that to happen while you're sitting at a cubicle next to somebody. Uh, so their whole argument was the main arena to engage in conversations like that is in the midst of the home. And so their whole push is we got to practice hospitality, which is actually very counter-cultural today because our homes are seen as these places of refuge for ourselves. It's where we can relax. It's a gated community so that no one could come in. It's our fortress and only people who we are really comfortable with could come in because it's that comfortable place. But their whole premise was invite people into those spaces, use your home as a place where people will come in. And then you actually create an environment where you could talk a little more deeply. You could have those conversations that go to those places. And I found that to be very true. Like it's the home that you could engage and actually not make it like such a weird like setting. Um, And the second thing that I thought was helpful too is in the midst of talking with them, just like you do with anyone who's in your home, you ask a lot of questions. There's nobody who I invite to my home and I just talk about myself or I talk about just things. I just lecture them, but you get to know them. You get to ask what they think. And if you have Christ in mind or Christ is naturally in your mind, it's going to go there. You're going to draw it out or you might run into those questions. And it's a lot more uh, less defensive when you ask questions. I mean, when Jesus talks to people, he's always asking questions to them. He's always asking them and pointing out different things about like what, like, discerning like hey what do you think about this and it kind of leads to those faith conversations that are there and so those are kind of two things that i thought were really helpful and also not underestimating the impact you can have i I remember hearing someone once say uh you know who who impacted your faith the most in your life it's most likely not like famous preachers although they get a lot of credit nor is it even like that lead pastor in your life but it's like that normal christian who you don't even know where they're at anymore, but they just loved you and they just opened themselves to you and they talked about Christ in a way that was very intriguing. And so I feel uh, those are some common like arenas that could allow for conversations that are hard to have in other places to actually transpire. Yeah, I mean, something that I've seen um, 
that is true uh, of my my friends who are not believers um, is that yeah I think it would be to be honest it would be awkward to open a conversation straight up talking about Jesus but for the most part those that I have developed deep relationships with people I would invite into my home it's actually very um, it, it's not strange at all for us to talk about things like purpose meaning significance belonging community like these things that i think the gospel and a relationship with jesus actually speaks to so powerfully and i think that um sometimes we're we're i think in our uh, attempts to kind of use a lot of christianese and spiritual language and language from the bible i think we we sometimes actually forget that the gospel is speaking to human needs you know and that that are universal that 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 all people are thinking about um and and so i agree with tom i think a lot of questions um and once you i think start talking about talking about those things what makes you tick you know what are the things that keep you going in life what do you want to accomplish what are your goals and you start kind of uncovering those things um you know those desires in a person's heart you know what they're seeking what their purpose in life is i think that jump is actually very easy to start talking about faith mm. start talking about um the things that are important to you um the things that give you meaning and so yeah i i i i think that's huge um even in just the way we talk about it yeah and when, and when you cook them dinner like you got to talk about what you what you want to talk about man like you just cooked them dinner like it's like <laughs> <laughs> kind of yeah, allows the. If it gets awkward, they can't leave. Like, they're not gonna leave the dinner table. So you know, it's, it's a good place to drop Jesus. Like, uh, eat my home cooked meal, and let me talk about my my Jesus. But yeah, no, I think I think that's really I think that's really good. I, I think Tom makes a really good point. Like, setting is so important, and I think home is effective. But I, I really think I think you're I think oftentimes you're taught if you're not evangelizing on the streets or in the workplace like you're not a faithful christian and i, I think that's wrong i think you're just not being effective when, when you're doing that and i think one challenge that i've had is that you know we, we talk a lot about how evangelism is relational and if you don't develop your relationship where they're asking you questions about your faith already i think something is already off um meaning that there's one quote uh, let me look it up yeah there's one quote that really rebuked me where this one uh, evangelist said, if no one around us seems interested or is asking questions about our faith, the first thing that we must do is assess how we are living. And I found that to be rebuking and challenging to me too, that you know, if it's hard for you to talk about Jesus with that person, you know, there are some hindrances in the way to you, but maybe more than anything, think about your own faith and how you're presenting it to that person. Um, are, is your life so countercultural that you're not interesting but you're 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 confusing to that person i think confusion should be the main theme of evangelism that you should confuse your coworkers, your um your non-believing friends that like yeah you're cool with them you can be normal but there's certain things that you might not want to do there's certain things that you do do that are weird um and, and that you should be confusing and not normal uh to that person or that non-believing friend or skeptic yeah and i you know one you know huge thing and i think it's a it's a mindset change i think when we do practice hospitality invite someone who's not a believer into the home you know i, I think it's so important for us to not 
constantly have that thing in the back of our minds that the goal of tonight <laughs> is for me to TikTok. convert this person. TikTok. I think yeah. it's so obvious when you do that. And I think um, as Christians, we need to prioritize the relationship over need. You know, uh, I think the pri- sometimes it takes years. You right. Know, uh, like you don't yeah. you don't have to plant water and see the growth in that one dinner evening. Yeah. <laughs> like you could just yes. plant right now, or you could just talk and get to know them. Exactly. I think just being present with that person is the priority, and and in and of itself is is the good news. You know, giving that, uh, providing that space for that conversation to happen, and so. You know, I don't think we have to feel that pressure hey. that, you know, this dinner is going to be it. You know, people know when there's an agenda, like, you know, like, yes. like I remember in college, like we'd have like random evangelism time where we have to go out. And I was so nervous. And I remember I saw someone that looked kind of chill and like non-confrontational. So I was circling him for like 10 <laughs> minutes because I was like a, like a vulture. <laughs> yeah, I was so nervous. I was just praying, you know, like, oh, this is this is the good thing to do. And I remember like he was just looking at me like, what is this guy doing? And I came up to him and said, hey, <laughs> you have some time to talk? And he was like, hell no. And he just got up and left. And I was like, oh, people know, man. Like they know when they're a project or like you're trying to prioritize something in that conversation. I, and I think Jason's right. Let, let it come naturally. But just be present, and I think that's the main goal of evangelism. Yeah, the worst thing that could happen—you just cook them a great meal, <laughs> had the most amazing conversation for a few hours, and then like right before they leave, you're like, "Oh man, I'm gonna do it," <laughs> and, and you do it, and they're like, "I'm never coming back here again." And and you know that's happened so much. You know? <laughs> uh, oh, that's too good, man. <laughs> too good. Uh, uh, so. Yeah, just let it come naturally. Um, one, one, a couple last questions that I had is I, I, I think though, there are times when you know, let's say naturally you're talking about faith and it's just naturally there, and then that skeptic or that unbeliever has a lot of presuppositions, maybe arguments, maybe even kind of hostility towards God or the idea of God. And I think for a lot of people, that is the scariest thing about evangelism, to be confrontational about you know. Like, I, I think everyone thinks that evangelizing to someone is like talking to Richard Dawkins, right? And that they're going to have all these theories and arguments against God that you have to defend. And, you know, more than like tackling them specifically, I guess for you guys, like what's what, what's just some general tips you could give and advice you could give when those type of ideas and conversations come up when it is a little hostile or it is a little confrontational or argumentative? Like what are some ways that Christians can respond I, I do know that. Um, oh, am I muted? No, you're good. You're good. You're, okay. you're muted on. Uh, you're on Zoom, so I just mute you. Um, I I do sense that the whole classic apologetics doesn't work as effectively today. Like, let me tell you the evidence of the resurrection, or let me tell you how like Jesus, you never found his bones, and you know, things like that to win people over. I, I just don't know how that works. I actually really agree with. Uh, I think John Frame and Keller, like the whole presuppositional apologetics is much more effective. And with with that pretty much meaning uh, we all incorporate faith into our worldviews that we presuppose. Uh, For example, human rights, like everyone believes human rights is just a given, but that's actually requires uh, a belief that human rights are intrinsic. And so actually tackling those, addressing those and discussing those presuppositions that we hold to, like where do we get that from? 
and pointing to how, well, Christianity actually has an answer for that. And that's very Jesus-like. I mean, when Jesus talked to the Pharisees, he would always use their own beliefs. Like, you know, hey, when David, when David said to, you know, uh, called him Lord, like, what did he mean by that? His son is Lord. He's using their own beliefs to kind of come to a conclusion about who he is. And I think similarly, when we talk to uh, anyone about the faith, it's not like, hey, let me show all these evidences of what Christianity is, but starting with kind of what Jason has been saying, like their needs, their questions, where they're at, tackling those, talking about those, because there's a lot of presuppositions and faiths in there, and talking, even connecting it to how as a Christian, this is why I believe in human rights. And that's something you're already on the same page on. And so I do think that's a lot more effective, and it requires a lot of, again, knowledge of the person and dialogue than just like hammering them with like, this is Romans, let me tell you what this verse says. Jason, Jason gave a big thumbs up. Um, yeah, no, I, I think using, just understanding their beliefs is really important. I also think at times um, kind of also acknowledging that there's a lot of things wrong about the church or, you know, there's certain things that maybe you, you don't know about. And I think that's fine saying, but, you know, and I think acknowledging that shows your humility, but I think at the same time, just pointing out the, there's like a lot of logical fallacies on the other side too. Um, I think the world is as messed up as the church, even though the church is messed up. Right. And I think just understanding those and pointing them out just gives you ammunition um, when you're, I guess, in a conversation like that too. Um, So just understanding some of that, just like, you know, the church has issues, but like, I think Tom mentioned this before, like, do you really like how the world treats women and how they advertise them? Like in any, think about any ad or like any movie, like how women are depicted um, or or kind of sold to to sell a product. Like, are you cool with that? I I think turning the tables is important too, uh, of just defending a little bit of our faith, if that makes sense. Well, also finding common ground, like the things, not just the things that you see in each other's flaws of each other's worldviews, but what do you have in common? I think that just really, uh, bridges the gap a lot like oh this we both agree on this and this is something that we have common ground in yeah totally um yeah i guess lastly any practical resources or books that you could recommend on evangelism or or even preparing some ideas that we talked about to you i know two books i could think of where it talks about like evangelism directly i mean evangelism by max styles is a really good book is a short book just about what evangelism is and how you could do as a church um, Stay Salt by Rebecca Pippert. That's actually a pretty good book. And she talks about how to evangelize in the 21st century. But I don't know about you guys, but I found the most effective books that helps me to know how to talk with the person who's not a Christian are when I read uh, just Christian authors who have engaged a lot of non-Christians and they're just writing their books. Like Rebecca McLaughlin is great. Uh, Tim Keller is great. Uh, Francis Bufford is great. Like these guys are, they're not writing books about evangelism, but just writing books. And you can just tell they're not just talking to Christians in their circles. They're talking to skeptics all the time. And the way they write, you just kind of learn, oh, this is how you talk in a non-Christianese way because they know that doesn't really translate well unless you're uh, a Christian. And so the, reading people who are engaging skeptics all the time, I found their books to be helpful to know how to articulate my faith in a different way. Uh, a couple books um, that maybe don't, um, they're not specifically about evangelism, but I think they will, um, they have helped me kind of reframe my thoughts on evangelism and how the church should evangelize in this post-Christian um, culture we live in. Um, one that I can think of is Mark Sayers' book, 
reappe- reappearing church. Um, I loved disappearing church, and I also love reappearing church as well. Um, but it's it's all about what it looks like to be the church in a post Christian culture, and I think that will that it was very eye opening for me personally. And then um, anything by Alan Hirsch, uh, I love Alan Hirsch, um, and uh, he's a big missional thinker uh, about kind of uh, reactivating the church um, in in the post Christian culture that we live in. And so two books. Uh, of his that I love are um, The Forgotten Ways and The Shaping of Things to Come. Um, definitely recommend those. I think they're they're really great if you're kind of, if you want something that will help kind of reshape the way you even think about what it means to be the church um, in our current moment. Yeah, I, I think I, the only thing I would add is uh, I think this cultural moment is a podcast that Mark Sayers does with John Mark Comer, who's a pastor in Portland. And you can tell both of them talk with a lot of Christians and for me at least uh, listening to their idea they just kind of ramble about random stuff um, uh, but it's really helpful I think just to get an understanding of where the world is at and, and how to even start thinking about introducing Christ to a post-Christian world um, that Tom mentioned so thanks for listening um, yeah any last shout outs for you guys as we close the episode going to the moon <laughs> shout out Wall Street Bets no I'm just kidding um <laughs> Shout out to uh, shout out to Bradley Beal. That was a crazy game winner today, Sunday night. But um, but hey, thanks for listening, guys. Uh, really appreciative of all the support. Uh, we'd love any DMs that you send. So please send um, any at any time. If you have questions, give us a rating if possible. Share our episode. That would be awesome. But given that, thanks for listening. We hope to see you in a couple weeks.